I want you to do an exercise with me. I want you to take a deep breath in, and I want you to release it, and let's do that three times. Ready? The Bible says, be still and know that I'm God. Sometimes we're so busy moving our minds and our bodies that we're not still, and we need to just slow down. Slow our minds and slow our hearts so that we could hear what God is trying to say to us. Sometimes the answers we seek from God, He's trying to tell us, but we're so busy we can't hear them. Will you pray with me, please? Father, you know each of us. You know, Lord, the week that we've had. You know the great struggles, the great pains, the great worries, the great doubt and the great fear. But Lord, you know the other side of that. Lord, you know the hope. You know the promise. And you know your faithfulness. So Father, I pray that whatever kind of week we've had, no matter where our hearts are, whether they're breaking, whether they're hurting, or whether they're questioning, that Lord, you would speak into our lives and into our hearts this morning. Father, that your spirit would tear down every wall that would keep us from hearing your truth that would keep us from your message of hope and restoration. I pray, Father, that where we are at the end of this service is, is, is greater than where we are right now. Father, you would lift us up and that we could see that you love us. We could see that you care for us this morning. Father, we know that your spirit changes us. So, Father, I pray your spirit would fall fresh on every one of us. Father, you know, for I am a sinner. And Father, I pray that despite my sin, your word, your truth, your hope would come through. Father, we don't just love you. We need you desperately. Father, I pray that you would come and comfort and convict your people. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ and all of God's people said... Well, if you are a sports fan like I am, this is one of the best times of the year. College football's in full swing, pro football's in full swing, basketball's about to start, hockey's already started, and baseball is reaching its conclusion. The Washington Nationals and the Houston Astros will be in the World Series. And I love baseball. I've watched baseball my whole life. I've played baseball. And I saw something in the playoffs this year that I had never seen in my entire life. When the Atlanta Braves, which happens to be my wife's favorite team, uh, when the Atlanta Braves were in the playoffs, they have so many terrific young players. And one of their players is a guy named Ronald Acuna Jr. And he came up to bat and he hit a shot and he was convinced it was a home run. So he stopped and he just admired the greatness of his hit. The only problem was it wasn't a home run. And instead of hustling and running and getting to second and being in scoring position, well, he just ended up at first. And the next batter came up and got a hit, and if he would have hustled and got to second, he could have scored a run. Now, this is not the first time that this has, not hap has happened to him. 
During the regular season, he didn't hustle, and, and the coach benched him. I mean, when you think about it, after 162 baseball games, you would think that every ball player would be all in, and they'd be giving their best because they want to win a championship. But the thing that I saw happen that, that never happened before was the honesty of his teammates after the game. Because the reporters came up and said, what did you think of your teammate not hustling, not giving his best, and going to first? And his teammates were honest. They said, this can't happen. This is unacceptable. You've got to give your best. This is the playoffs. You, you, you've got to run that out. And when the, the reporters came and told Ronald Acuna Jr. what his teammates said through a translator, he said, that's baseball. Sometimes that just happens. Man, that did not sit well with his teammates. It did not sit well with the fans. It did not sit well with those in Atlanta. Now, I don't say this in any way to shame this young man. I'm sure he's a wonderful young man. I'm sure he will learn from this, and I'm sure he will torment my Phillies for years to come, okay? But I say this because we can all relate to our feelings when somebody doesn't give us their best. We can be frustrated. If you go to a restaurant and a waiter doesn't give you their best service, you're frustrated. If you go and pay for goods or services and you don't get the best customer service, you're frustrated. If you go to your job tomorrow and your coworkers are not giving their best, you're like, I'm frustrated. Because we are built, we teach our kids, no matter what, give your best. Whether you're digging a test or whether you're playing sports, just give me your best. And we preach that and we like that. And yet, how many of us don't give our best to God? How many of us don't give our best to God? That's part of what the book of Malachi is about. See, the book of Malachi, which we're going to kind of begin today, it is a wake-up call to the people of God. God is saying it is time to wake up and understand a few things. And the first thing that God is saying is, you are not giving me your best. The book of Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. It's the last of the minor prophets. In fact, the name Malachi means my messenger. And the book of Malachi really kind of helps us understand how do we ignite our faith? How do we engage our faith when sometimes we feel distant or even discouraged in our relationship with God? So I want to encourage you to, hopefully if you've got your Bibles, open up to Malachi. It'll be the book right before Matthew. Open up to Malachi, bring it up on your phone or look up. We're going to start at verse 6, but I want to just kind of set the context. The book of Malachi opens up with God saying to his people, I love you. Man, I love you. God is telling his people, you're my people, and I love you so stinking much. God makes it very clear to his people how much he loves them. And so then we start here at verse 6. A son honors his father, and a slave his master. If I'm a father, where's the honor due me? If I'm a master, where's the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, 
Is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nation, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying, the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. And you say, oh, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices... Should I accept them from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. The book of Malachi takes place about a hundred years after the book of Haggai. And remember, we just went through the book of Haggai, and that's when God brought the people back from exile, which they deserved to go to because of their disobedience. So after 70 years, God brings them back so that they could rebuild the temple. So it's 100 years later, so the temple has been rebuilt. God has told the people how much he loves them, how much he cares for them, and the people's attitude was that of being apathetic. They are very apathetic. They are very disengaged from their relationship with God. And the people had a lot of problems, a lot of struggle. And we know that this takes place during the same time where Ezra and Nehemiah were also ministering in that time. And there were some common themes that all of the people of God were struggling with. Number one, there were corrupt priests. The leaders of the people of God were not doing what they should be doing. There were people who were marrying idolaters. So people of God were marrying people who didn't believe in the God of Israel. The people themselves were, they were taking advantage of the disadvantaged in their community and not caring for them, but robbing them. And thirdly, the people, or fourthly, the people were not giving tithes to God. So the people had a lot of problems and a lot of these problems were by their own creation. And so they were a little gun shy when God says that he loved them and he cared for them. They were like, well, we don't quite understand God. I mean, We've got all these problems, not realizing that they caused their own problems. So they kind of said to God, you need to prove that you love me. And God said, really? Okay. I, I, I only brought you out of exile. I brought you back into the land. I protected you from the Edomites. Those were descendants of Esau who wanted to destroy you. And no matter what they do, I will destroy anything they build up. But then I love what God does. He flips the script. He flips the script. And he says, you know what? How do you love me? God says to his people, how do you love me? Show me how you love me. Now, I want you to think about a court scene for a minute. What if each and every one of us was taken to court and we were put on the stand by God and asked, give me evidence that proves you love me? Would there be enough evidence to convict us? And that's what God is saying to the people. He was saying, do you really love me? Do you really love me? Ezra and Nehemiah address this. Listen to what Nehemiah says. 
He says, you warn them, talking about the people of God, you warn them to return to your law. But they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances by which a man will live if he obeys them. Stubbornly they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked, refused to listen. For many years you were patient with them. By your spirit you admonished them through your prophets, yet they paid no attention. So you handed them over to the neighboring people. But in your great mercy you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. The people didn't listen. You know, they, they, they weren't really giving God their best. They weren't loving God first and the most. And so when God asked that question, how do you love me? They don't really have an answer. And they're like, well, what do you mean, God? How do you mean that, that we don't love you? What are you talking about? And, and God goes after the priests first because they're the leaders. They should know. They should be modeling a good relationship with God, a healthy, loving God. You're the first and the most important priority in my life. And the priests failed. And how did the priests fail? Because they accepted offerings to God that were not what God demanded. People were bringing crippled, lame, and blind animals. See, the people of God were required to bring the very best of their livestock, the very best of the fruit of their lives, and give it to God and give it to God first. Not because that God needed it. It was an outward expression of their inward commitment to God. And they weren't doing that. They weren't giving their best to God. And the priests knew it because they knew the law. It says this, if an animal has a defect, is lame or blind or has any serious flaw, you must not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. The law says don't give God anything but your best. Anything less is unacceptable. And the priest and thereby the people said it's okay to give God anything but your best. It's okay to give God less than your best. You know, we would not accept anything but the best when we go out and we buy a car or we buy a home. We won't accept anything but our kids giving their best at their schoolwork or their athletics. But yet we're all okay with not giving God our best. Not thinking that worship is important. Not thinking that sacrifice is important. Not thinking that tithing is important. God demands that we give him our very best and the people were not. And God was calling them on it. He was calling them on it. He said, if you are truly my people, if you say that you love me, then give me your best. Give me your best and give me your best first. Don't take the best for yourself because what the people were doing is they were giving leftovers to God. They were giving God leftovers. Right? How many of us don't like leftovers? How many of us have leftovers in our fridge that have been there for months that are a science experiment? Can you imagine if you had guests over to your house and you just went into the leftover bin in your fridge and said, here you go. There's no way you would do that. I, I'm having people over. But yet we say to God, hey God, I took care of everything else. Here's my leftovers. That's not acceptable to God. And God says, would you give this to your governor? Would you go up to the governor's banquet table, which was this lavish table, and people bought the best that they had because it was the governor's table? Can you imagine somebody going up and putting leftovers on the governor's table? God says he wouldn't accept it. You can't go back to the alley, go through the garbage can, and come and put it on the governor's table and think the governor's going to be, oh, thank you. So God says, why do you think 
that you can give me anything but your best. We demand the best from our kids. Give it your best. As long as you give it your best in the test. As long as you give it the best on the athletic field. That's all we want. And when they don't give it to us, we sit our kids down and we say, you didn't give me your best effort. Our employers will sit us down and say, you didn't give us your best effort. A few weeks ago, when, after the Husker game, the talk was not that they lost. The talk was they weren't giving the effort. The coach called them out on it. The fans, the media said they aren't giving the effort that is needed. And people were upset, not just because they lost, but because they didn't give their best. We are called to give God our best, not our leftovers. See, what was happening here, there was an apathy towards God. There was almost a malice towards God. They were like, you know, we're just going to go through the motions. It's not a big deal. Think about when you've been somewhere and you didn't get somebody's best. Maybe you went to dinner and you didn't get somebody's best. Maybe you were going to purchase something somewhere and you just weren't getting the best customer service. And you said, well, I'm not giving you my business. We never think, how does God react when we don't give him our best? We don't often think about that. God has emotions. We know that God's created. The first description of God in Genesis is God created the heavens and the earth. We know that God is a jealous God. God has emotions. So how does God feel when we don't give him our best, when, he, when we give him leftovers? God makes it very clear in this text. He says two things. He says, number one, he says, I am not pleased with you. And number two, he says, I won't accept it. Now, I want us to think about this for a minute. God says, I'm not pleased with you. God created us. We find pleasure in relationships with other people. We find pleasure in the relationships with our family, with our spouses, kids and our grandkids. We find pleasure in relationships with our friends and neighbors and co-workers. And God says, I'm not pleased with you because you didn't give me your best. Think about not finding pleasure in a relationship. It's not a good feeling. And God is saying to, to his people, to you and I, you have not given me your best and I'm not pleased with you. And he says, I will not accept it. I won't accept it. In fact, he says, shut the door. Shut the door to the temple. God says, if you aren't going to bring me your best, don't even try. Don't try to pass off these leftovers like I should be thrilled that you gave me a little bit of the little bit that you had left when you're supposed to give me the best of the best first. God didn't need the sacrifices. God didn't need the tithes. He's God. But God said, it's really an outward symbol of an inward commitment that I am your God, that I am the most important person to you. And so God says, I am not pleased with you, and I will not accept that of you. And the priests did three things. Number one, they walked away from the Lord. Number two, they stopped turning people from sin by allowing them to bring the offerings. And number three, they stopped standing in awe of God. The people had what I call relationship apathy. They were apathetic in their relationship with God. They didn't care enough to give God their very best. They just said, all right, God, here's a little bit for you. Have some fun. See, they lost their awe of God. And the way that you don't have an awe for God is that you don't know God. 
If you truly know God, then you can have an awe for God. That you can say, this is God. This is God. He loves me. He's provided for me. This is God. How could I not be in awe of him? Because if you know God, you're in awe of him. And how could you not give your best to God? And in this first chapter, Malachi and God, God outlines three reasons why we should give our best to God. Number one, he's our father. Number two, he's our master. And number three, he's our king. If God is not your father figure, if God is not your master, if God is not your king, then you will never give your best to God. And if you don't give your best to God, whatever we give is not acceptable to God. Is God your father? A father cares for his children. A father provides for his children. A father disciplines his children out of love. And if we don't look at God as our father, but as our equal, we'll never give him our best. Do we look at God as our master? A master provides for the slave. A master protects the slave. If we don't look at God as the master of our lives, we will never give God our best and anything less is not acceptable. Do we look at God as the king of our life? Royalty. God's the kings. We're the subject. And we submit to our king because our king conquers. Our king, our king defends us. If God is not our father, if God is not our master, if God is not our king, then we're probably not giving God our best because we have substituted something else to be our master, something else to be our king, and most of the time that's us. Most of the time we are the master of our own lives. We are the king of our own lives. We are the one that submits to no one in our own lives. We make ourselves the father. This is hard to hear. But this is what God was saying to his people. He said, guys, if you don't understand that I only will accept your best, if we don't understand that I am the father and the master and the king, do you know how we treat God? We treat God like he's a silent partner in our business. Right? God, you're the silent partner. You go sit over there in the corner. You don't get to say anything. Your only job is you just bless it. Whatever I do, God, you, you're in charge of blessings, God. Don't, don't speak. Don't correct. You just bless God. Come on, start the blessing. Let's go. Start the blessing. But God is our father. God is our master. And God is our king. He's not a silent partner in our life. And the people were not giving their best to God. And if we don't give our best to God, God's word says you might as well shut the temple door because anything that you give me, particularly these lame leftovers, is not going to satisfy me. Everybody in here who has kids or grandkids or nieces or nephews wants and expects them to do their best. And if you truly love them, you will not accept them not giving their best. So why should God Except us if we're not willing to give him our best. The spiritual, relational apathy that the people had. God said, you know what? My name's going to be glorified whether you give me your best or not. But if you do give me your best, you can be a part of glorifying my name. You can be a part of this. 
Who doesn't want to be a part of God's name being glorified? Because when God's name is being glorified and we're a child of God, we get to celebrate and be a part of that glory because we said, God, I gave you my best. You know, either the Washington Nationals or the Houston Astros is going to win the World Series. And whatever player on that team, no matter what role they play, as long as they gave their best, they get to be a part of the celebration and the glory. But if you don't give your best, you don't get to be a part of that. The people don't understand that God has given you and I his best. Even though we don't deserve it, God has given us the best. You would think that if the people take a look back at where they came from, God brought us out of slavery in Egypt. He got us through the Red Sea. He provided manna in the desert. He brought us into the promised land. He repatriated us to the land. That how could they not be stirred to say, I love God. God is awesome. Look what God has done for me and my ancestors. Man, I'm going to give God my best because he loves me so much and I love him so much. Just like you would think because of what Jesus did for us. He died on the cross. He took, our, he took the penalty of our sin. How does that not stir in your heart to say, man, does God love me? He had Jesus take my sin. I'm going to give God my very, very best. And the people, they were just apathetic. They weren't impressed by God. They weren't impressed by God's name. They weren't impressed by what God has done for them. And see, they missed some of the things that God can do. Let me tell you two things that Jesus can do that we can't do. First, Jesus is the perfect worshiper. He is the perfect worshiper. He's not distracted. He's not divided. He is giving God his very best. And number two, Jesus is the perfect sacrifice to God. The perfect one. We can't give God a perfect sacrifice because of sin. Everything we give God is lame and crippled and diseased. But when we have Jesus Christ as our Savior, that is the perfect offering for God. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son. Whoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God gave us the best. God gave us himself. God gave us himself, Jesus incarnate. How does that not stir in our heart? See, the priests failed the people. They failed to show the people how important and, 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 and awesome that worshiping a faithful God is. They didn't teach people the word of God. And since the people didn't know the word of God, they couldn't respond to the word of God. They couldn't be in awe of God. That's why their faith was not being engaged. That's why they were kind of discouraged. Because they didn't know the awesomeness of God. If you want to know the awesomeness of God, give God your very best. Your very best. Give God your very best in every possible way. See, what happens is we've lost our understanding of the kingship of God and the fatherhood of God and the master that is God. And when we don't give God our best, that means we're giving something our best. For a lot of people, it's their jobs. I will give my job the best. I'm going to show up every day. I'm going to work hard. Why? Because I really value my job. My job pays my bills. I like my job. I will never not give anything but my best. But yet we don't give God our best. For some people, it's their kids. I'm going to give my kids the best of everything. Whatever they want, I'm going to give them the best. But I'm not going to give God my best. I mean, a, a logical connection is if we don't give God our best, why should God give us his best? 
Praise God, that's not how he works. But that's how we work. We don't give God our best and we go, God, I expect the best. You should be happy with the little that I give you. We try to pacify God. We think that we can say to God, hey, here's a little bit of this. Now just bless me. Your name's on the letterhead, God, of my life, but you don't get to make any decisions. You just get to bless. If you want to reignite your faith, if you want to re-engage your faith, then hear the wake-up call that God is saying in the book of Malachi. Give God your best. I want you to, I want you to close your eyes for a second. I want you to think of this. Close your eyes and think of this. What if everybody here today and everybody listening said, I'm going to give God my best, the best of my time, the best of my talents, and the best of my treasure? What if I said, I'm going to give God the very best of those three areas? How different would your life look? How much closer would you be to God? How much more alive would your faith be? How much different would the church be in influencing people in our community? Would we even still be in a gym? Or would we be somewhere else? If every person here said, I'm going to give God the best of my time, my talent, and my treasure. God will transform you. God will transform us. God will transform the community. You can open your eyes. Thanks for not falling asleep. That's the first thing. So here's your reward for closing your eyes and not falling asleep. If you're like me, I'm a visual learner. I love the word. I love the spoken word. I love to hear the word. But I sometimes need to see things to try to get it. And so maybe you're kind of tracking with what we're saying today. Or maybe you're like, I don't know what that man's up there talking about. So I want to show you something that I think encapsulates what we've talked about today. So we're going to show this clip here. Keep going, you hear me? You keep 
I've seen that clip a hundred times and I still get goosebumps. And what I love about that is he did more than he thought he could do. He gave his very best. He had a cheerleader that was there encouraging him and challenging him to give his best. He thought he could just get to the 50. He got to the end zone. But do you know what the coolest thing was? It was his teammates who started to get up and follow. And see, when we give our very best to God, it will not only change us, it will allow us to get to a place that we never thought we could get to, but other people will say, something special is going on there. I want to encourage you, is that I want to invite our worship team back up. I want to encourage you, give God your best. If you give God your best, the best of your time, the best of your talent, and the best of your treasure, and you give that to God, and you give that to Him first, you will end up in the end zone, you will end up inspiring people, and your life will be changed, and those around you will be changed. Amen?